All right. Romans chapter 12. All right. Let's look at it together. All right. Amen. Verse number 1. Should be familiar territory to you, I hope. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I'm just preaching verse number 1 this morning, so let me read it one more time. I want to try to get verse 2 and verse 3 tonight, if that's the Lord's will. But verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I started on the last Wednesday night that I preached, I started a message that I've entitled, Life on the Altar. Life on the altar, because that is the image that is given to us here, that we are to take our bodies and present them as an Old Testament believer would take that sacrifice and present it on the altar to God. We are commanded to take our bodies and put them on the altar and give them to God for God to use for His glory and for His work. And I want to recommend and commend to you that that is the best life and that is the blessed life is when you take your life and you put it on the altar of sacrifice and you give it to God. I want us to pray and let's, let's just meditate on this verse a little bit this morning before we go home. All right, Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have to be here. Thank you for the good spirit of God that I felt in this place since the very beginning of this service. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd continue to move Continue to work on hearts. Lord, continue that refreshing that you've done in our hearts these past few days. And God, I pray that you'd help us from this verse. Lord, encourage us, challenge us, change us. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would, uh, we would be willing to submit and surrender our lives to you, no matter what the cost. And Father, we ask for your help and your guidance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I'm sure that you are already familiar with this verse. Most of you in here have probably... Uh, memorize it or has it underlined. You might have it underlined in your, uh, in your Bible. And uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot of preaching on this verse. I think it is probably one of the most clearest expressions of what the Christian life is supposed to be like continually. Now, the expression or the, the, the individual expression might be a little bit different. My life on the altar is not going to look like your life on the altar. It'll look a little bit different. But for all of us, it ought to be surrendered to God, for God to use, God to take, and do whatever that He wants to do with our lives. And, and I noted the other day that really Romans 12.1 is really a turning point in the book of Romans where the first 11 chapters have been very heavily doctrinal. They have spoke about the doctrine of salvation uh, in, in all of kind of different, uh, different ways and, and fleshed that out in so many different ways. Not a lot of uh, imperatives, not a lot of commands, not a lot of instruction, practical instruction given in the first 11 chapters. But when we get to chapter 12, that all changes. Everything, in fact, pretty much everything from verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, until the end of, uh, end of the letter is uh, primarily instructional. It's primary, primarily practical, and that serves uh, to remind us this truth right here that the Christian life is not just a doctrinal statement. 
It is not just agreeing with a doctrinal statement. That is not uh, the sufficient Christian life. That's not the extent. You're not a Christian because necessarily because you check off doctrinal things, because you believe this and that. Being a Christian is more than just uh, 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 agreeing to a set of, uh, of facts or whatever you want to call it, doctrinal uh, statements. Being a Christian is living like one. Uh, it is putting what you know into practice. In fact, I, I'll go so far as to say this, that I believe that you don't truly believe something until it changes the way that you live. If it does not truly change the way that you live, uh, then you really don't believe it in here. You might give mental assent to it, uh, but you really don't believe it until it has changed your life. It has to change who you are. And uh, I believe that with all my heart. And I believe if you're saved by the grace of God, we don't always live submitted to God. I understand that. I wish I could tell you this morning that I've lived every single day of my life on the altar of sacrifice to God. I'm going to be honest with you. There's been times that I've struggled with it. My will and God's will and my way and God's way and my thoughts and God's thoughts and... and uh, my word versus God's word. I've, I've struggled with that. Fear of man and fear of God. No doubt about that. But I'm going to tell you something. Since God has saved my soul, there is a desire down in the deep recesses of my heart. I want to please God. I, I want to live for God. I want to be sold out and surrendered to God. I want God to use my life and take me and, and do something for His glory. I, I want to take my hands off of it and let God have His way. That's what I want. I'm not saying I always am there, but that's what I want. And I found out that my life is always better. And my life is all, always makes more sense when it has been placed on the altar of sacrifice, given to God. I said this the other day, and I, I, I'll get, if, I don't get, if I don't move on, I'm not going to get any further than I did last time. But I do want to say this, that uh, we spend a lot of time and it seems like church these days is primarily focused on what we can get from God. When it seems like to me the clear emphasis in Scripture is not getting something from God, but it is giving something to God, giving ourselves to God. And it is realizing what God has already given to us. Can I tell you, we already have everything that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. When God gave you what you have, God gave you salvation. He gave you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And yet, sometimes we come in church wanting something different, wanting something new, wanting something out of the ordinary. But can I tell you, the, what you already know that God has given to you, that is where your survival lies. That is where your success lies. That is where your satisfaction action lies. Uh, what you are longing for is probably in something that you have already got. You don't need something new from God. You just need God to make fresh what He's already given to you. And then you need to take your life and take who you are and what you have and you need to give that to God. I promise you that. I've seen people make, you know, profession of faith, you know, and say, well, I need to get saved again. I need to get saved. And maybe I'm not saved. When all, all actuality, you don't need to get saved again. Now, if the Holy Ghost tells you you're lost, you need to get saved. No matter what the preacher says. But I'm here to tell you, most of the time when you really talk to somebody and deal with them, you'll find out that really it's not that they need to get saved. It's that they need to surrender their life to God. 
and they feel that conviction. It's not, it's not that they need to get saved. It's that they need to give their life to God, put their life on the altar of sacrifice. There's some part of their life that has been left unsurrendered to God. Now, I know this ain't popular preaching, but listen to me. This is what's going to help you. This is what you need. This is what you need. And I'm not even, I don't have a list. I, I, I think some people think that when a preacher gets ordained, you know, they hand him a list of things he's supposed to preach on, you know, because every preacher seems to preach on the same list. Isn't that right? I don't have a list, but I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Ghost has a list for you, and you probably know what it is that you need to put on the altar and what you need to surrender to God this morning. The Holy Ghost is dealing with you about it. But I want you, let me just give you a couple thoughts here from the Word of God, from, from this one verse right here. Some things about life on the altar, about this command to present our body. By the way, that word present, it, it, it implies that, 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 that this is not something God is going to force you to do. This is something that you have to willingly offer and give to God. And I, I talked about, and this is really where we got stuck the other day, and I'm going to hit it and just move on. But he talks about, first of all, I want you to notice this. I, I called it this, the requirement in this command. I want you to see, first of all, that there is a requirement in this command. And I want you to notice when we are, we are asked specifically to give something very specific to God, to present something specific to God. And he says it right here in this verse. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your, what's that next word? Bodies. Your bodies. God wants your body. This body that you are living in. He said, present it to God. Now, if you're saved, He's already got your soul. Isn't that right? And He's already, he's already got that. No doubt. It is safe. It is secure. Nobody, You can't touch it. The devil can't touch it. Nobody can touch it. No doubt about that. But can I tell you something? If you're saved, God also bought your body. But He hasn't picked it up yet. Have you ever bought something and you hadn't picked it up yet? That's how it is with your body. He's bought your body. In fact, that's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, right? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Uh, Paul said, what? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it belongs to God. It belongs to Him. Your body belongs to Him. He just hadn't picked it up. One day, He's going to redeem this old vile body. And when He picks it up, it ain't going to be like it is now. Amen. I'm glad He's going to change it. I'm glad He's going to redeem it. I'm glad we ain't going to have to worry about sin and selfishness and sorrow and sickness and all those things we deal with in these lives. Thank God one day He's going to pick it up and He's going to clean it up and He's going to fix it up forever and ever. Amen. Thank God for that. But until then, we are what the Bible calls stewards. That a steward is somebody that is in possession of something that belongs to somebody else. If you've ever borrowed somebody's car, maybe, I don't know if you do or not, but if you've ever borrowed somebody's car, I hope that you drive it maybe a little bit more differently then maybe you would drive your own vehicle. I hope that maybe you're a little bit more careful. How many of you would say, no preacher, I'm not any more careful with anybody else's car than I am with my own? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm just trying to figure out. That way if you ever ask, I'll know to say no. All right. You ever, I know in my car, you know, eat the Bojangles biscuit, Chick-fil-A biscuit, you all up and just throw it in the back, you know, the trash. And, you know, every Friday or Saturday, just 
clean it all out, right? It's my car. Just throw it in the back. And the kids get in. I'm just like, yeah, just push that over. You don't have to tell them that anymore. They know. You just, just push that aside. I remember growing up, my uncle was very careful about, about his vehicles. And before I got in the van, he would put a towel down on the, on the, va- on the van. And we'd have to do that. My, you might want to put a towel down before you ride my car, but it's for different reasons altogether, all right? <laughs> but it's my car. And I, you know, but if I, were to, if I were to borrow your car, and I might need it one day, so just listen real close, all right? If I were to borrow your car... I wouldn't throw my wrapper in the bag. I would put it in my pocket, all right, until I got out. I'd be careful with it. I tell you, when I borrowed somebody's car, I'll tell you what else I do. I fill it up with gas before I give it back. It's on, even if I get it on empty, I at least almost fill it up if it's on empty. If it's, if it's half tank, I fill it up, and I give it back. So if you need your gas tank filled up, just let me borrow your car, all right? What I'm saying is when you are cognizant of the fact that yes, I'm in possession of this, yes, I'm in control of this, but ultimately I don't own this and one day I'm going to have to give an account for how I've used this. You treat it just a little bit different. Can I tell you what God wants? He wants your body. Now listen, He's going to let you control it to a certain extent, but you need to do it as He sees fit and do it what with, with it what He wants you to do. That's what He's talking about. The requirement is God wants you by... And we live in a day, we live in a day where most modern Christianity, they de-emphasize that fact and say, it don't matter what, how you live and it don't matter what you do with your body and it doesn't matter where you go and what you say and how you look and all these things. But I'm here to tell you, every part of your life needs to be surrendered to God. What you do with your body, it absolutely matters. Surrender is something that is not just uh, in, the, in the ether somewhere. Surrender is in real life. It means your real body needs to be given to God. You need to give it to God. That means it needs to be where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be, doing what it's supposed to be doing, not listening to what it ain't supposed to be listening to, and, and, and looking at what it ain't supposed to be looking at. You need to take your body and give it to God and use it for the glory of God. It's not your own. You've been bought with a price. Why I'm not putting stuff, and I'm gonna make me mad, but I ain't putting stuff, I ain't coloring on my body, I ain't poking holes in my body, I ain't doing I ain't doing all kind of crazy stuff. You know why? Because it ain't mine, it belongs to God. Amen. That's why there won't be any, there's not even an option, it's not even a choice. There's not even I don't even have to make a decision where I'm gonna be when the church doors are open and, and where I'm you know why? Because this is God's body, it belongs to Him. My body's going to be where it's supposed to be. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. You know why? Because it belongs to God. God wants your body. This is like real life surrender, not just some spiritual church talk of surrender. I've surrendered my life to God. Well, then it ought to show up in your body. Amen. Your body belongs to God. And if... He's not the one that is changing the way that you live. And your body is not on the altar. Sacrifice. If He doesn't have your body, listen to me. If God doesn't have your body, if it's not real life change, then God doesn't have you like He's supposed to have you. 
It will make a difference. How many of y'all still with me? I'm just telling you, He wants your body. He wants you to give it to Him. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. Present your bodies. That's this mouth. That's these eyes, these ears, these hands, these feet. It's everything I have. The requirement. Let me give you just a second observation from this verse right here. Not only do we see the requirement in this command, but I want you to notice the responsibility in this command. The responsibility in this command. And I want you to see it right here. I, I, I circled some words in this verse. I want, look, look, look at the verse with me. Uh, Chunk, put it back up on the screen there where everybody can see it real good. Romans 12, 1. Look at this verse real good. I want you to see this. He said, I beseech... Say that next word right there. You. Who's the you? As, yeah, that's you. That's you. All right? Not me. You. No, I'm just kidding. It's me too. I'm the you. You're the you. We all the you. All right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that... Here it is again. Here's, here's these pronouns. We're, we're looking up... We're, we're defining some pronouns here. You ready? Here it is. That what? Ye. When the Bible says ye, we would say it like this. Y'all. That's all y'all. All right? I beseech you personally that ye, all of you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is, here it is, ready? Your reasonable service. I think we missed another one, didn't we? Your bodies. In fact, that's the one I want you to circle more than anyone, any of them. That ye present, what? Your bodies. I know this is obvious, but I need to make this observation right here. And that is the responsibility of presenting your body a living sacrifice to God. I want you to know who that responsibility is on. Who's it on? It's on you. Look in the mirror. By the way, and I know this is, this is probably the most common advice that I give out on a regular basis more than anything else. When I'm counting, because it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter where you're at. A lot of times in marriage, marriage counseling, I, I, I use this more than anything else. This is what I say more than anything else. And it's this principle right here. And it's, you ready? It's very profound. Here it is. You control one person. Now, you might impact and influence a lot of people. But ultimately, at the end of the day, how many people do you control? One person. That's it. You only control one person. Listen, I only control one body. Now, I have a family. I have kids. I try to make sure their bodies are where they're supposed to be. I try to make sure their bodies are still breathing. Uh, that's one of the biggest things about being a parent, ain't that right? Just try to keep them alive. Say amen right there. Just try to keep them. I got one, I got one now. He's got, the other ones have got over it, but that, that new one, you know, they have like a death wish, you know. They want to, that boy, he, I, don't, I don't know if he's suicidal or what, it, what the deal is. That boy, he can just be on a, on a table or on the, on the couch or just wherever, anywhere. He just head first, just whoosh. He just wants to dive off. If you take your hands off him for two seconds, he says whoosh. Just head first, boom, just wants to dive, like diving like it's a swimming pool. But it ain't. And he's learned that a time or two. If you don't keep your hand, he just, poof, he just jumps. He just jumps. But anyway, so I'm trying to keep their bodies breathing. But ultimately, did you know that even with my children, at the end of the day, I, don't, I can't even control every part of them. My wife, Lord knows, I can't control her, Amen. She controls me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, all right. 
But, man, I, at the end, I control one person. Isn't it true? It's just human nature. You see this in the Bible. You see this in the book of Genesis. You see this in our life this morning probably. You can figure it out probably in your life this morning. Isn't it true? We blame so many other people for a lot of things. Isn't that, isn't, and it, am I the only one that notices that? It's, we live, in fact, it's just really, it's permeated our culture maybe in a time more than it's ever been. I don't know. I've only lived for 35 years, so I can't really tell you. But I know it's bad right now. Everybody is a victim. Everybody is a victim of circumstance and a victim of, of somebody else. And Well, the only reason I did this is because somebody did that. And, and they get off the hook with the court system because they can blame a mama or a doctor or a therapist or, 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 or a pill or or a bottle or a needle or whatever. And everybody blames somebody else. But can I tell you something, friend? You'll never get anywhere in life and you certainly won't advance in the Christian life until you start taking responsibility and, re- and realize that you only control one person and if you're not surrendered to God right now at 11.52 on a Sunday morning, if right this very moment you're not surrendered to God, it ain't nobody's fault but your own. Because you have been commissioned and called and commanded by God that you present your body a living sacrifice. Your body. I can't make, I wish I could make other people get right with God. I, I would. I wish I could. I wish I had the power to pick somebody up and say, just drag them down the altar. Where am I going? You're going on the altar where you're going. Boom. What am I, what am I doing here? You're a living sacrifice. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up and serve God. Quit, being, quit, quit doing all that stuff you're doing and just do right. Wish I could do that. I'd, I'd, I'd drag a bunch of people. Up. Heather probably dragged me to the altar. Amen. But you know, at the end of the day, I can't, I can't make you do anything. I can't make you do it. You can't make me do it. It's your responsibility. And when you stand before God one day, you'll have to give an account for you. And all them people are blaming, well, that church hurt me, and those people hurt me, and those people don't like me. And all that might be true. I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. You stick around, you're going to get hurt, neighbor. It's just part of church life. But it don't matter. Your surrender, your relationship with God... It's your responsibility. And you have been commanded by the God of glory to take your body and you personally give it to God. You can't blame nobody else. It ain't the devil made me do it. It ain't this temptation. It ain't, well, that's just, you know, my family tree. That's just how we are. No, 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 no. It, it, listen, it is your responsibility. So we said, just flip over a couple pages. I think we read this the other day. 2 Corinthians 5. I wasn't sure if I was going to read it or not, but I think I will. 2 Corinthians 5, we read some of this the other day, but I think this verse fits in right here again. Let's read it again. 2 Corinthians 5 is all about your body. It's it's called an earthly tabernacle. It's talking about how we're going to get a new, we're going to get a new, we'll get a new body one day. How many of you know that old Red Book song, I'll have a new body? I'll have a new body, praise the Lord. I'll have a new wife. No, it's life is what it is, sorry. I'll have a new body. That's what it's 2 Corinthians 5. It's talking about a new body. But in the meantime, between now and until we get that new body, look what he says. Look at verse number 9. He said, Wherefore we labor. 
we work, that whether present or absent, and you've got to read the previous verses to get that, present with the Lord, that's when we get the, get the new body, or ab, right now we're absent. We're in the absent category. That means we are not physically in the presence of God right now. We're not in the, physically in the presence of our Lord just yet. Now, we will be one day. Now, we have Him with us. He's always with us, but we're not physically, bodily in His presence uh, like we will be one day in, in, this, in this regard. Does that make sense? We're absent. He said, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be what? Accepted of Him. Now, that acceptable, that's the kind of language he's using in Romans 12, ain't it? Uh, that we may, you know, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And then he's going to talk about in the next verse, the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. That was something that is accepted. Now, in Christ, positionally, we're accepted. Thank God for that. You don't have to do anything else. But there is a practical side of this Christian life where I want to walk acceptable to God in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Is that in your heart? Do you want to do that as well? He said that whether present or absent, we may be accepted to Him. Now look at verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in His what? His body. According to that, He hath done, whether it be good or bad. You're going to have to give it. You are responsible. It ain't going to be you and -and so-and-so standing there in front of God. You're going to have to give an account for the things that you've done in your body. That's what the Bible says. It's important how you live. It does make a difference how you live. It will make a great difference. You're going to... I I heard one preacher say that I, I want to live now like I will wish I would have lived when I stand before God one day. I just want you to know there is a responsibility. You can only control one person. And though you might be frustrated with somebody else, you need to probably spend a little more time looking in the mirror. Amen. I need to spend some more time. I know we want to go around and sweep off everybody else's porch, but we might ought to just check our own a little bit. Isn't that right? Because we can we control this one right here. There's a responsibility. Let me give you one last thought out of Romans 12, 1, and then I'm done. Not only is there the requirement in this command and the responsibility in this command, but lastly, I want you to see the rationale of this command, the, the, the reasoning, the rationale. Look, look what, why, what, what's the basis for Paul's claim? What, why, would he, why, would he, why would he give such a command? Why would he say, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. Why, how in the world could he... Could he make something? That's a bold claim. Take your body and give it to God. Forsake everything you want and what you're going to do and just give everything you have to God. Why in the world could Paul make such an extreme demand on our life? How could God make such an extreme demand on our life? Well, he tells us at the end of verse number 12, he says it's your reasonable service. That word reasonable, do you know what that means? It means that which agrees with reason. It means that which, it, it's, it's, it is consistent with logic. It, it, it's sensible. It, it literally means this, that for you to take your body and give it to God and let God have your life to do with it whatever He wants to with it. Listen, Paul said, it just makes sense. Now the world would have you to think what? You're crazy. 
The, I want you to know, the world thinks we're crazy. Sunday morning, we're sitting in here, listening to some guy open up a book that's thousands of years, that's thousands of years old, and he's screaming and hollering at you about it. That's weird. Y'all are all crazy, according to this world. Isn't that right? For you to take, take your life and, and, and sacrifice and surrender to God and give God all of you and give God your life? That's crazy. Why would you do that? Paul said, no. It's just reasonable service. By the way, that word service, it implies the, the analogy. It, 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 it's included in the analogy, the picture that Paul is given there. The picture is that of a, of a priest that would take a sacrifice and lay it on the altar and give it to God. That's the picture that's used there. Service, worship, it's the same. They're almost synonymous. It's almost the same thing. The idea there is this is the kind of worship, this is the kind of service that just makes sense. Why does it make sense? Why is it rational? What's the rationale behind this command? Well, it gives us in the very first part of this verse, and I'll show you this and we're done this morning. Look at what it says. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Notice that next phrase right there. What does it say? By the what? Mercies of God. Therefore. Anytime you see that word therefore, you're supposed to go back and see what it's there for, right? And he begins at the end of chapter number 11 when talking about salvation. And I know there's some things there about the nation of Israel and Gentiles and all that. But really, I mean, the big picture is just that God wants to save sinners. God wants to save. Aren't you glad we got a God that wants to save people? And listen, He is a God of judgment. He will judge, no doubt about it. But God's so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know why? Because He loves us and He wants to save us. He'd rather save you than He would condemn you. I promise you that. We have a God that wants... And that's really what the end of Romans 11 is about. He's reconciling these things about the nation of Israel and all these things. But really when it comes down to it, look at verse number 30 of Romans chapter number 11. He speaks about the mercy of God. He says, For as ye, talking about us Gentiles, in times past have not believed God. How many of y'all remember a time in the past when you did not believe God? Y'all remember that? I'm going to tell you something. You know what God should have done? He should have picked you up and threw you into hell. You ought to be in hell right now, every single one of us. We're all sinners. Listen, we deserve the judgment of God. You say, why are we there? It's the mercy of God. It's His mercies that we're not consumed, is what the Bible says. Mercy is when God withholds from you that which you deserve. When you deserve something, but you don't get it, that's mercy. You deserve hell hell, but look around. You're not there right now. What is that? That's the mercy of God. Think about all them years you lived in unbelief. Think about all them years you lived in rebellion. Think about all them years you lived in ignorance. Think about all them years you lived away from God and every day that you lived and every step that you took and every breath that you drew, it was the mercy of God. And then God came to you one time, two times, three times, I don't know how many times, and pricked your heart and convicted you and convinced you. And you remember that day you called on Him and got saved and He let all of heaven flood your soul and He changed your life and He changed your destination. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? You say, what is that? That's the mercy of God. Now look around. 
He did for you what nobody else could. He did for you what nobody else would. He did for you what nobody else should have. If He'd have let us die and go to hell, He'd have been, still been God and been a just God. It's what we deserve. And then He picked you up off the trash heap of humanity and He saved your soul and He changed your life and every blessing that you have is an overflow of what God has done in your heart and in your life. Look around. And then we're going to bow up at God and say, what right do you have to me? What? He's given you everything. He's given you everything that you got. He's given me everything. I don't have one thing that He hasn't given to me. There ain't one thing I've conjured up on my own. Everything I have is from Him. Why wouldn't I take everything I got and give it back to Him? Paul said, I'm not just, I'm not just asking you to do this all just out of the blue. This ain't somebody you've never met. This isn't somebody that's never done anything for you. Doesn't it make sense? He gave Himself for you. Why don't you give yourself to Him? I'm going to tell you something about God. You give yourself to Him, listen, He'll be a debtor to no man. (laughs) He's not like the devil. The devil wants your body too. He's not like the world. The world wants this body, your body too. But let me tell you why they want it. They want to use you and abuse you and they want to squeeze everything they can out of you and then they'll take, pick you up and they'll throw you away. That ain't how our God is. He said, give yourself to me. And I'll tell you what He'll do with a life. He'll take you and He'll bless you and He'll help you. And he'll walk with you and He'll be there for you and He'll give you peace that will flood your soul like you've never known. And while this world looks at God and says, what a mean God, what a, what a legalistic God, and can't do this and can't go there, and i got to give up this and i got to give up that. Can I tell you something? Ain't nobody ever give up anything for God. I take my little spoonful and I give it to God, and He backs up His dump truck. Beep, beep, beep. And he unloads just blessings on my life. God's been way too good. And I'll take my little spoonful and say, Lord, it's all I got. But you can have it. Here it is. And he says, all right, boom. God has withheld righteous judgment from your life. And he says, hey, just give your life to me. Serve me. Love me. Worship me. I don't know. Sounds reasonable to me. Sounds, sounds reasonable to me. I mean, literally, like, when we talk about, we use that phrase, it's the least I can do. It's the least we can do. Can I tell you, if that's not applicable here, I don't know where it is. It's literally giving Him. It might be the most we can do, but it's the least we can do. Is to give God our life. Put our life on the altar. Here's the thing. He don't want you to die for him. That's not what he's asking here. Now, we may, it may come to that one of these days. I don't know in this country. But that's, He said, I just want you to be a living. He said, come to me. You, an altar is a place where you die, but that's what you'll find in the Christian life. When you die, that's really when you start to live. 
If you're living your life for yourself, you ain't really living. You ain't living until you live life on the altar.